0: so hard that I could hardly stand, gripping onto this heavy Western phantasm, always adding things to my plate as if it's good for me. Sure, pile it on, I'll take it. Give me another, and another, and another, and another. So many tasks, so much stuff in my hand, so how could I ever lend one? my life ever so tightly hoping that I might be a self-fulfilling prophecy that I will find the fountain of youth. Truth is, I'm scared of letting go. Sometimes those dreams are all I have though. But maybe those dreams are really nightmares. Maybe I don't know anything because I have always been scared, scared of trusting, scared of loving, scared of being loved, scared of letting go. What if I did? What if I just let go for a moment? What if I slowed down? People say you're crazy. If you stop moving, you'll drown. Slowing down is completely absurd. If you do, you will risk losing. Choosing to slow down is proving that you don't have what it takes. The race is going fast and you have to be first, or at least keep up. Competition just thrusts me forward, so close behind me so I have to type more words, add more to my mind, work more work, moving so fast that I don't notice the hurt. So I fight. I grind gears and year after year. I fear giving anything up. I accrue more stuff but lose more sanity. Go through more. But I lose my humanity. For what does it profit me? If I gain the whole world and lose my soul? Well, if my soul means nothing to me, then I lose nothing, I guess. And that saddens me lose everything? To gain everything? It makes me think of Christ coming from perfection, entering into humanity's infections, living among the angels, leaving beauty and glory's reflections to be involved in our story, to relate to our angles and outlooks. He prayed, not my will, but yours be done not my will, but yours be done. And I, for one, I hate to lose at anything, so I desire to lose whatever I need to succeed. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Use me, please, whatever you want. Take it, please. I guess in this race of life, I can't speed up unless I slow down. My work, my tasks. It's like the car in front of me that want to keep me down. And they won't allow me to pass. My choice to obsess over hobbies keep me driving fast. Deadlines, schedules, social life, stress. Faster, 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 stress. As if my iPhone is a time-saving device. It just makes it easier for me to schedule more things. Not my will, but yours, Father. What do I need to give up? What do I need to give up? Father, when you ask, I will choose family over hobbies. I will choose friendship over acquaintances. I will choose to be sober. I will choose to serve. I will choose joy. I will choose love. I will choose all things good. God, I will choose you. I will choose you. God, I will choose you. Was is it insane to let go of the wheel? Well, that's a risk I have to take. I'm letting go to let you in, to let you live and to let you drive. If slowing down is what it takes, then God, I'm slamming on my brakes.
1: Powerful piece provokes us to think about some things and invites us really to think about the different things that we may be holding on to that prevent us from being able to move forward. And, you know, I think it's good for us to sit in what we have just experienced together and to allow ourselves to go to the place of wondering what it is that we may need to let go. Because in order to move forward, it inevitably means that we might have to leave a certain place. Or it might mean that we have to surrender certain things in our lives. And that's the very direction I'm hoping to engage with this morning, this early afternoon. But first, I'd like us to ask for God's presence to enter, to remain here with us, to bless our remaining time together. And so if you wouldn't mind praying with me, I'd love to pray for, for our time together. I thank you, God, for first of all, the truth of the matter is that you... You, Jesus, you decided to leave everything so that you can give us everything you have. I thank you for that. I thank you for the reminder here that as we enter your house, you remind us of your goodness, of the treasure we have in you. And I pray, God, that you would help us not only think about what areas you're putting your finger on in terms of what you're asking us to loosen our grip over, but I pray also that you would help us in our time here together, grow in a clarifying strength in terms of what it is you're asking us to do to move forward with you. May your blessing be here among us as we interact with your word, and may we leave here knowing what it is you're asking us to do as we seek to engage with you in this life, in this faith you're seeking to build within us. I pray for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, some of us may, may know, may not know, Pastor Terry is away this weekend. He actually, um, at this point, has probably already shared. He's at a church in St. Louis, and uh, they invited him out there to speak. We've had their senior pastor, uh, Hal Santos, come up and, and share here uh, on several occasions, and so this was his turn to go out and, and share with the community out there. And so that means I get to share with you here, and... Um, You know, my name is Louis Menjavar, I'm the Young Adults Pastor, I'm also part of the teaching team, and we've been walking through this series called Moving Forward in Life and in Faith, and we're coming to the end of it, we have several weeks before we head into our summer series, but I'd like us to sit with this idea that I'd like to suggest there are moments in our lives where what we are used to relying on, what we are used to looking to in terms of points of affirmation or confirmation of what we're supposed to be doing will inevitably let us down. There will be moments in our lives where people's opinions who used to give us strength or affirmation or a point of confidence to step forward will no longer be the strength they once were to us. And in those moments when what we used to look to or what we are accustomed to leaning on no longer has the strength to uphold or sustain us, we have a great opportunity. And I'd like to suggest that in those moments... Moments I think maybe even some of us are experiencing right now. We have the opportunity to move forward in a direction in which we are most gripped by his presence. You know, this is something that I've had to um, really wrestle with. It's not something that I naturally do. If anything, I find myself looking for other directions in terms of how to, what, what it is I'm supposed to be doing in my life, how I'm supposed to be moving forward. And, you know, there was this one incident in my life that I remember. It was in my mid-20s. It was several years ago. And I was, uh, I was kind of walking through a season of a, of a bit of, of letdown, disappointment. I remember I had a picture in my mind in my early 20s of what life was going to be like at 25. And specifically, what I was going to be like and what was going to be happening. And I didn't even realize that I had this picture in my mind until I turned 25. Because when I turned 25, what was reality had a very big disconnect from what I had in my mind pictured would be reality. It was disconnected. And so that disconnect ended up becoming a point of dissatisfaction, discouragement within me and... um, and that discouragement ended up becoming frustration, frustration that I started to just st- stuff down. And I just kept moving forward. And I remember just kind of continuing. There were points in my ministry where in my activities and my endeavors, I wasn't seeing the results I had anticipated to see or we all wanted to see as a team. And I remember in my own personal life seeing different things of frustration and nothing was really happening in terms of breakthrough or, or you know, something exciting happening. And in the midst of this circumstance, I I also was in a men's group that was meeting on Monday nights on a weekly basis. And this men's group was made up of different men throughout the Bay Area. And the one thing we all had in common is we all shared a uh, different points in our churches, points of leadership or responsibility in ministry. And so that's what we all had in common. And the age ranges, however, were very different. There were some people that were my age, kind of my peers, and then there were people about 10 years ahead of us. They, they were married. They had children. And, and then there were some people substantially older than us. There were two individuals, in fact. One of them was in his early 60s, and the other one was in his early 80s. And I remember uh, he would always say, this, this gentleman would always say, you know what, I, I really enjoy hanging out with you kids. But we regarded him as kind of a sage for us. In fact, we would all share what was going on in our week or how, what we were walking through, and he would always kind of just listen quietly. And then whenever it was his turn to speak, everyone else was silent. Because this man who had been married for over 50 years, who had experienced many things in his life, who had seen drastic changes in our culture as a nation, had early in his early 80s still had a vibrant Love for life and God. And whatever he would say would always provoke us to go into kind of the deeper places of thought. And I remember on one of these Mondays, I I was just stuffing my frustration down to a point where I just couldn't, you know, I needed to just let it out. And so I decided this was the Monday I was going to go ahead and just vent on these guys. And I even remember kind of warning them, you know, it's like, ah, guys, you know, I just need to get some things off my chest and it might be too much, you know, it's like, like, so I just start unloading. And I'm I'm one of those people that if I don't um, process things in advance, you know, I kind of end up finding out what I'm thinking as I'm saying it. I don't know if you, it's kind of an external processor, right? Which gets me in trouble a good amount of time but you know this this occasion I was in a safe environment I was sharing and I was just sharing and as I was sharing I realized that what I expected I had an expectation somewhere in the long line where there would be this place in my life that I would arrive and when I arrived in this lo- this place in my life of maturity or whatever it might be I would have incredible insight and understanding and everything would make sense And things would just come together and a path would be laid out before me and everything would be so clear and life would be so enjoyable. And as we were talking and as they were kind of asking me questions, what I expected was almost like a side-by-side, step-by-step guide. Lewis, in this occasion, this is what you do. Oh, you're unhappy? Do this and you will be happy. Do this and you will succeed and everything will open up for you and all of the universe will line up. Everything will be great and you will get to enjoy people and life and everything will just be fantastic. You will never know trouble. And obviously as I'm sharing this, is uh, incredibly unrealistic. And that made me more frustrated. And so I start sharing. And as I'm venting, The 80-year-old man decides to lean in, taps me on the knee, and he says, just (laughs) stop. And I stopped talking, and he said something that I needed to hear. You know, Lewis, in life, there is only one constant, and that is his presence. You're looking for security in a plan, in success, in immediate results. And what you need to do right now is you need to learn how to move forward assured by his presence. Not by the results. Not by the affirmation or lack thereof. Not by the circumstances. But you need to learn how to lean on him and rest assured by the direction he's leading you. It silenced me, as it did everyone else in that group. And that is something I have been seeking to wrestle with since that moment. It hasn't been the first time I heard that. It was obviously not the first time I had heard that. But it was the moment in which I was most in need of hearing because I think so often life is, it's, it's just so easy, isn't it, for some of us to find security in our success or in our education or perhaps in our skills and our talents. This is what we have to bring to the table and so no one else can do that and that's, that's kind of my blanket of security. Or maybe this is the relationship I have with people who have authority and influence in my network and so that is my source of security. As long as that's peaceful, I'm okay. Or maybe it's other people's opinions that they hold of us. And as long as the opinion is positive, then everything is okay. But the very minute it turns negative or critical or less than what we would like it to be, sirens start going off, don't they? Red flags everywhere. Fear overcomes us. And I'd like to suggest it's in those moments we have the greatest opportunity to learn how to move forward, gripped by his presence. And, you know, I think one of the men who I find just incredible inspiration from in the scriptures is a man named Moses. And for those of us who may not know, Moses was a monumental figure, is a monumental figure in Jewish history. Because he was greatly used by God to end up becoming the instrument of deliverance for an entire nation out of slavery. And what we're about to walk through is this summary of Moses' life in which the writer decides to summarize three poignant, pivotal decisions Moses made. And I'm hoping that as, as we walk through this passage, this account of his life, and as we consider for ourselves, we start to increase in our clarity in terms of what maybe decisions God may want us to implement, to step into as we seek to move forward. If you open up your handout, you'll find a section out of a letter called Hebrews, which was titled Hebrews because that was the intended audience. It was written for Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, and the entire point of that letter was to let them know that their faith found its point of completion in Jesus. And so this author is making the case that if we are to seek to follow Jesus, it is to be characterized by a life of deep faith and trust in what he has done. And then he comes to this section in the letter where he decides to illustrate what this looks like through different people's lives. And it's found in Hebrews 11 in in this chapter. It's broken down that way. And he ends up chronicling different people's actions and steps that they committed by faith. And then he comes to Moses' section. And he devotes six verses to illustrate three pivotal decisions. And that is where we'll begin. We're told in verse 23, This is how Moses' life began. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command, which is a direct reference to what was happening at the time. See, the the people who would have read this would understand the, the writing between the lines, which is that at the time Moses was born, there was a decree put out by Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The entire Jewish nation was under his control, his dominion, and the population was increasing to a point where he became afraid of them. He feared overthrow. And so through maniacal means, he decides to implement his plan of population control. And he writes a decree. And he demands that every male-born child is to be killed on the spot. And his parents defy that command. They end up hiding Moses for three months. And in one of the most interesting twists of fate, three months later, Moses' older sister puts the baby in a basket, goes down to the river in which Pharaoh's daughter was bathing, releases the basket into the river, and the river ends up pulling the baby right by where Pharaoh's daughter is. And Pharaoh's daughter sees the basket, hears the cry, summons the servants to go get the the child, brings the child, looks at the child, ends up having compassion on Moses and brings him in, adopts him. Moses ends up growing up in the very house of the man who decreed his demise. And 40 years later, as Moses grows up in this environment, in this culture, in this setting, we're told what his first point of decision was. Verse 24, we're told, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, that is to say when he was fully mature, when he owned himself, knew who he was, he made a decision. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, which on the surface may seem like more of a rebellious act, but indeed it had significant consequences because he was choosing to no longer associate with the reigning power, with the royal family. And just to give us an idea of what he was giving up, you know, hundreds of years later, there's a man named Stephen who decides to uh, give an oration of Israel's history. And he comes to this point where he's talking about Moses. And this is how he describes him. This is how he describes Moses' upbringing. He says in Acts 7, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. I asked him to put this up there. He was mighty in words and deeds. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren and the children of Israel. And what happened was, he goes, he sees what condition they're in, he, something inside of him is struck. And he decides, this man, this man who had been taught, trained, raised within the court of the ruler of the most powerful nation on earth, who had seen what it looks like to run a country efficiently, who, who had experienced an education at the highest degree, who had seen the power and the military might Egypt had, he decides no longer who had enjoyed the royal privilege of being in line, heir to the throne, who had power and influence, affluence, position, pleasure at his disposal, decided I no longer want to be one of them. And then we're told a little bit more of his thought process. Because he knew very well what he was doing. We're told in verse 25 that he choosing he, he did this choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. He chose suffering and affliction to be identified with God's people than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He, he actually consciously stepped into a point of affliction and abandoned a point of pleasure. We're told he esteemed the reproach of Christ, which lets us know he saw through the lens of what God had in store as the ultimate deliverer. And he saw what it would look like to be looked down upon, to be associated with God. The reproach of Christ. He counted that greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. He, he looked to the reward. And, and this, is, this is what I think just strikes us as a bit odd. I I'm mean, I'm, you know, it just is strange. I don't think... Any of us would consider this a rational decision. But if we could think about it this way, Moses had a different calculation method. He made a calculated decision, didn't he? And I was reminded of the... um, I don't know if if we can picture in our minds the balance, the scales held by the hinge point, and there's two plates, and you put some weights on one plate, and then you put a product on the other and figure out how much it weighs. And you could almost... Here, or see Moses walking through this process is that on one hand he has nothing but pleasure and, and prosperity and royalty and wealth the pinnacle of power in that day and age. The ear of the king associated with a royal family and after having experienced it for 40 years he compared it to what it might look like to be associated with God and he saw the reality is it, initially it's going to be suffering and affliction and it's going to be mean, being looked down upon. And he's weighing the two out. And this is where Moses does something that is just startling. Because as he's weighing the two out, having experienced one, it was not theoretical. It was not something he was seeking to attain. He had it. He found that God held more He found that in his life, God held more weight. And because God held more weight than anything you could ever possibly put in his possession, he deemed that a good risk. And he made a decision to leave this and engage with the one that gripped his soul. And this private conclusion he came to, it didn't stay private for long. Because this private conclusion ended up having a point of public appearance. And we're told in verse 27 that his second decision came to fruition. He, by faith, forsook Egypt. He left the land he had grown up with. And he did, he did this, not fearing the king, not fearing the one who would be upset by his decision, because he endured as one seeing him who is invisible. If we could hear this, Moses was able to move from a point of exaltation to one of being relatively unknown in a wilderness for 40 years, taking care of sheep. One where his advice and opinions shifted entire empires to one where his opinions took care of sheep. And he deemed that a good trade. And he endured in that place of having relatively nothing because he was gripped by the invisible one. Because he learned it almost as if he learned, though I cannot see him, it does not mean he is absent. In fact, Moses would say, we would hear it, that he was way more rich in this place than he could ever have been in the courts of Pharaoh. And he endured. And he walked through this time. And the author decides to fast forward 40 years into his life and highlights the third monumental decision. Because at this point, Moses experienced the the burning bush that speaks to him and assigns him to go back into the land where he had left. And he tells him, I want you to go back there and I want you to demand the release of my people. They are held captive and they must be free. Demand Pharaoh to let them go. He does, reluctantly. He doesn't want to do it, but he does it. He allows his, the grip of God's presence in life to overcome his fear. Goes into the court of Pharaoh, demands the release of his people, and Pharaoh says, no. And so then God decides to implement a convincing plan. Nine signs, or judgments, or points of correction. And in this wrestling match, Pharaoh relents and then changes his mind. Relents and changes his mind to the point where now it comes nine times later. God says, this is it. Moses, I'm going to implement something, and tonight will be your final night in captivity. You and all of my people will be set free, but I want you to do something. And the world's first Passover is initiated in fact we see in verse 28 that by faith he makes this this decision he kept the Passover which means he did something against maybe his other points of judgment he says he kept the Passover by faith and the sprinkling of blood which is a rather strange instruction because what he lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them because here's what God decided to do he says you know what Moses here's what's going to happen I'm going to go ahead and send an angel of death into the land of Egypt and I want you to have all my people pack up their belongings, put them together tightly, and be ready to go. They're going to have one last meal. They're going to slay a lamb. They're going to eat this, this Passover meal together. And they're going to eat it in a hurry because here's what you need to do. You need to pour the blood of that lamb into a bowl. Then I want you to get some leaves of hyssop. Then dip it into the blood and go outside the house. Have everyone do this. I, you must do it. It is very important. I want you to grab that blood, and I want you to just spread it on the posts of the, of the doorframe of the house's. And this is extremely critical because here's what's going to happen. The angel of death is going to go through the camp all through the nation of Egypt, but it will not touch the door frames, the houses covered by the blood of the lamb. The angel of death will pass over the houses covered by the blood of the lamb. A rather strange request abided by Moses by faith, trusting that God would do what he said he would do. In fact, this moment, this decision that Moses made by faith ends up becoming a cornerstone in anyone's life seeking to follow him because hundreds of years later, a man called John, who is known as the Baptist because he baptized anyone wanting to move forward with God, upon seeing Jesus, ends up referring to Jesus in a very specific way. And this is what he said in John 1 9. He says, Listen, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's right there. And John was referring directly to this Passover. Because if the first Passover meant, that the angel of death would pass over the homes covered by the blood of the Lamb, then Jesus, the Lamb, would be the one that covers us from the very thing that produces death. It's powerful. Three decisions Moses made. Three decisions that not only set God's activity in his life into motion, but inevitably ended up becoming the point of Freedom. For an entire nation. In fact, in our remaining moments together, I'd like us to consider, twist this around to how we may want to step forward and consider this as a template. And I'd like to suggest this, that Moses, he moved forward by doing several things. Firstly, he moved forward by focusing on the rewards of a God-centered life. And we see it, you know, he, he knew what he was giving up. He didn't do this ignorantly, idealistically. He didn't do it with a romanticized vision of what was to come. He did it knowing he was about to give something up. But his focus was not on that, it was on what he was about to gain. And so many times in my life, at least, I think moving forward fixates my attention on what I'm about to risk people's opinions, different points that I would rather not lose. And the more I fixate it, the more I realize I actually really care about this deeply. And it ends up becoming paralytic. This is where Moses was able to shift off and onto what it looks like to align our lives with God, which doesn't mean that everything works out well. It doesn't mean that our circumstances change. It doesn't mean that success is at every turn. But it means that an increasing sense of wholeness within starts to emerge. And as we start to experience something of God's life-giving power in our lives, we get to experience a sustaining grace in the midst of hard situations, doesn't it? I once heard somebody say, make this comparison. They compared what it would look like to cultivate two different types of life. They said, listen, to cultivate an inward easy life, one that is whole, that is at peace, that is in a point of alignment with God, an inward easy life, it will give us the strength to be able to handle the outward difficulties of life. But if we try to switch those around, if we seek to cultivate an outward easy life, it will do nothing but cause inward difficulty for much of that life. Moses moved forward by focusing his attention on the promises, the rewards of a God centered life. If he did it, we can. As well, In fact, he not only did that, he moved forward by leaving the familiar, didn't he? He left the entire land of Egypt. I mean, we see it in verse 27. He forsook Egypt, his land, what he had grown up in, the customs, the people, the culture, everything he knew he left. And it, we may not be being asked or prodded to do the same. We may not be asked to leave the place where we're from or our families in terms of the environment we're in or anything of that nature. In fact, I would say the harder, the harder ask. It's to stay in the environment in which we are in, but to decide to leave the familiar ways in which we relate to one another. to decide to leave the familiar ways in which maybe dysfunction enters and penetrates and it becomes part of who we are. And yet God maybe want to say, you know what, that is part of who you were. It no longer has to be who you are. It will become part of your past as you continue to leave what is familiar to you and engage with what I am asking of you. Perhaps courage is becoming more of who we will be. Integrity and wholeness forgiveness and love grace will replace grudges and points of conflict perhaps hope will start to emerge where we have known nothing but defeat because that is familiar to us and god may want us to release it to let it go to move forward our step might be to no longer count or no longer be okay with what has been and to allow him to flow through us in a new way, to step out of our comfort zone. In fact, I would say Moses not only left the familiar in a very clear way, he also ended up doing the unusual, didn't he? He ended up keeping the Passover, a rather strange request than the sprinkling of the blood, and it ended up becoming a foreshadow, a clear foreshadow for anyone who decides to turn their gaze towards what Jesus did. So I remember when I first started trying to walk this out, I found certain things quite unusual. I, I still remember when I was a teenager and I started coming to church. And, um, you know, I was around 15 or 16 when I started coming. And I, I came a bit begrudgingly with my parents. I remember sitting in the back, not really, you know, allowing myself to engage at all. But then several years later, I started to actually pay attention to what was happening. And I was 17, and I was sitting there, and I remember just watching what was happening, and the lights would come on, the band would come on, music would start playing, people would be singing and clapping, and I found that, for me personally, rather unusual. I didn't really feel comfortable singing or clapping. In fact, I felt way more comfortable people watching. And so that's what I did. And people would be clapping and singing, and I would be watching them. (laughs) And they would continue to sing, and they would lift their hands up, and I just would watch them. And then they would stare back at me and it got really awkward at moments. But I remember just having these moments of not wanting to engage with what was going on. Until one morning I decided to come by myself and I sat myself in the back and I decided I didn't want to interact with anyone. I just wanted to be alone. Maybe I was in a moment where I was a little bit more open to what was happening. And I sat in the very back and I just kind of sat there. And as the music started playing and as the lyrics started being sung, I just decided to close my eyes. And what was once unusual started to become a little bit more comfortable for me. And the words started to penetrate my mind and my heart and my condition. And they started to do something. They started to tap into the inner place of genuineness and sincerity. And something of a desire to sing started to emerge. And I ended up interacting with the song. And I sang a little bit. And it's almost like I found myself singing. And I stopped. And I wondered who around me heard but I experienced something of God and so I decided I'd like to do that again I went ahead and bought a CD that we used to sell on the side of church music more God-oriented music I put it in my car and I'd listen to it as much as I could I would just listen to it and sometimes I would lose myself while I was driving and I would engage with the song and start singing and I would come to a stop sign or a stoplight and I would feel someone staring at me and I'd look and the car next to me was staring at me and <laughs> And so I would stop singing. And, and then one, one time I ended up picking up my cousin who wasn't going to church or anything like that. Gets in the car, turn on the car, turn on the music. We're listening to these lyrics. And as he's hearing the lyrics about God and Jesus and his grace, he, he just is, what is this? <laughs> and I say, oh, this is church music, man. It's all right. And he's like, all right. And so we're driving and the road trip was about an hour or so. And so as we're driving down the freeway, I forget he's there. And I'm just sitting there and I'm enjoying the music and I'm tapping on the wheel and I'm just kind of getting into the song and I decide to sing and so I'm singing. And as I'm singing, I'm really getting emotionally involved with this song and I'm singing. And then all of a sudden I fear this just person staring at me right next to me. And I look over and he's just, what are you doing? I say, oh man, I just, you know, I'm singing. Are you trying out for the choir? And no, he's like, good, because I think you should try out for something else. And (laughs) I remember just allowing this music that was once unusual to me and the lyrics that once struck me as unordinary ended up becoming the place where God met me, where I felt something of his presence, where he reassured me that he is right there. And I wonder how many of us find certain things unusual. A small group of people getting together, sharing life, talking about things. Unusual. And yet God may want to meet us right there. A point of vulnerability in a conversation where we expose a wound from our past or a point of struggle, and we ask for prayer and make our needs known. And we find that very unusual. And yet God may want to bring in his healing, rushing touch, Because when we move forward, it doesn't just do something in our lives. It ends up affecting many more people than we could ever recognize. Moses' decision freed a nation. Maybe that's not the same for us. But is it fair to say that one life is worth that? One relationship. One friendship. One person watching us. And when we step forward, Breakthrough happens. May we move forward, gripped by his presence, not relying on the things we so easily grab so that we can experience his life-giving flow. May this be the case. In fact, we're going to be receiving our time of giving and then we'll go ahead and share in our closing song that goes along this theme. But first, I'd like to pray over what we just discussed and God, I just thank you. I thank you that uh, I thank you that Moses made the decisions he made. That you enabled him to overcome his insecurities, his fears, his hesitations. Simply by making yourself known. I thank you that he's human just like us. Because that means you can do the same with us. I wonder, Lord, what are the areas you want us to align closer with you? What are the areas you want us to let go of? What are the areas we deem unusual, but they become meeting grounds for you and I, for you and us? Help us move forward. Help us be gripped by your presence. We pray for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.